This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Metal Sucks presents Heroes of Metal. Real heroes of metal. Today, we salute you, Mrs. Drunk Chick who flashed her tits at the band. Mrs. Drunk Chick who flashed her tits at the band. You could have climbed on top of your boyfriend's shoulders and kept your shirt on, but you... We're on a mission. There's only one way to get backstage. Because of you, tits have become just as important to metal as an epic guitar solo. Exposed nipples and shredding. If it wasn't for your bravery, every perv within grabbing distance would go home empty-handed. Boners in the mosh pit. So here's to you, Mrs. Drunk Chick who flashed your tits at the band. Mrs. Drunk Chick who flashed your tits at the band. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast with your host, Brandon Hahn and Petter Spych. Bonus in the month, <laughs> God damn it, Gooch. <laughs> and don't forget Jocelyn Sharp. Uh, welcome, guys, to the Metal Sucks Podcast. I am uh, your host, uh, Petter Spych, always joined by Brandon Hahn and Jocelyn Sharp. And so uh, we're going to get her in the sound, or we're going to get her in the open in just a little bit. Give us a couple good. of weeks. That was pretty good. We did. She did do the bit this yeah. week. Good job, Jocelyn. You, you, you put a lot of good singing in there. Play that one more time for me. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. This is which, oh, oh yeah, that right yeah. there. Oh, you mean when she really hits the high notes? Boners yeah. in the mosh pit. Okay, right. you got to respect my commitment. <laughs> uh-huh. I committed to that. Here's what Pete added. That was um, one take. Um, any, um, and then um, I had one more thing I was going to say. <laughs> That's never not funny to <laughs> never me. Never not funny. It's not, it's not so this coach. Yes. <laughs> okay. This week, guys, we are going to get to. Uh, we have two interviews as well this week. Uh, first interview, guys, Epica Simone Simons. She talked to me on the phone for a while. Very excited. The new uh, uh, EP, The Solace System, is out now. Great reviews. Definitely check out the music video, guys. It's a. Uh, it's a fun interview, and then we do get to part two of my talk with uh, Axel Rosenberg and uh, Emperor Rhombus on their book, Hellraisers, is also going to be on this episode. And this episode was going to be kind of a milestone. Uh, this was going to be Brandon's last episode, the transition to Jocelyn Sharp being a full-time member. It was going to be the bridge episode. The bridge episode. This was it. This was You're, you're going to have it. to cry and say goodbye to the fans. Yeah, this is when I was going to really pour my heart out. Like, I was bummed out like a couple weeks ago. I know. Ago. Everybody, I really everybody remembers. Out. You were too yeah. sad. But and then it turned out that uh, things went sideways, and yeah. um, now I'm still here. So, so everybody, <laughs> we're not going to go into too much details, but Brandon Hunt is not leaving the show. Papa. Coach. Yay. <laughs> so Jocelyn's like fucking mad over here. <laughs> it's money out of her pocket. <laughs> like, yeah, that's so, right. All the all the weeks of kick rocks, Gooch. Guess what? No rocks. Staying. Nope. Nope. No I'm kicking. still going to tell you to kick rocks. Ah, that's right. You and probably so, should. You and then, probably and should. then, I mean, I did try to fire Jocelyn, but the, you know, Axel and Vince were like, no, we like her. Yeah, we like her. <laughs> exactly. I like it's how, true. I like how they were very willing to let me walk away, but then Jocelyn is like, no, 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 wait, please, no, keep the one with the boobs. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, had to, I had to ask uh, specifically if you could stay, and they were cool with it. So this is, uh, this is the team now. Yes. So follow my lead, fuckers. Don't, don't, don't step over me. All right. Anyways. Ooh, look at you two. Look at you two. Are, are we allowed to call you a fuckface? Yeah, all the time. Now? Okay, I didn't want to step on you when I called you a fuckface. No worries. So to the news this week, guys. Uh, um, the big news story to us, we are in Las Vegas. We say that every week, so I'm sure you guys know. Um, but the Misfits 
are playing a show out here on December 28th. So With Doyle. With Doyle. With, with Jerry. With Jerry. With, and with Danzig. Danzig. No, the, the reunited Misfits. Yes. All the hype that played last year at the Riot Fest. I believe it was last year. With Lombardo on drums as well. Uh, so and Probably uh, the easiest drum gig Lombardo ever had, by the way. Dude, yeah, he's done every drum. I mean, we so. love Misfits. We love the Misfits, but man. This is this is what I'm saying. Okay, so they're coming out here December 28th. They are playing at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. So for people that don't know what that is, that is where Floyd Mayweather boxes. That is where Black Sabbath's final tour uh, occurred. It holds about 15,000 people. Uh, bands like... ACDC play there, Guns N' Roses. Okay. It's one of the bigger venues in Las Vegas. Yeah, so it's a 15,000-seat kind of arena. So The I'm only like, one that's bigger is T-Mobile. Yeah, and that's, that's like 19,000. That's where yeah. the Golden Knights play. Well, yeah, the, the Misfits didn't feel that they were T-Mobile ready. <laughs> now, for me, <laughs> so I looked this up. I'm like, what the fuck? They're playing at an arena? And I'm, in my mind, like the bands I just mentioned, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, you know, uh, ACDC. Yeah. Black Sabbath didn't sell it out. There was about 10,000 people there, but it didn't sell out. My so. favorite band to play there? Boners in the mosh pit. Yeah, Love there, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's many of those. Hate you. There's many. <laughs> Did I say kick rocks today? <laughs> kick fucking rocks. She's mad you're still here. She's like, this motherfucker. <laughs> and he's still got control of the soundboard. <laughs> and so my big thing is that like, Okay, maybe I love the Misfits, so I don't want to sound negative about it. Who doesn't love the Misfits? But Everybody that loves metal I, should know that the Misfits are one of the most, most important bands. More important bands. I mean, but they're up. They are a punk rock band. They are underground. I looked at tickets today to see how they're selling. It's $500 to be on the general admission floor for two, stupid. which is so, um, like I said, Misfits, iconic punk rock band, right? Playing in an arena. $500 for me and my lady to go see him. So it all feels weird. Do you guys I, agree with I me? I think that they're expecting Danzig to like attract more people than he's going to. Like just because the punk rock scene in Vegas isn't, this is a big, isn't full and abundant. You might be right yeah. about that, but I do know this like Danzig by himself can attract maybe a few thousand people. I'd say yeah. about out here. He just played at the Brooklyn Bowl yeah. last week. I, right. I didn't go, but I'm assuming he can I was sell there, that place out. Yeah, I was there not that long ago. Pennywise opened up for him, and he, you know, the sound fucked up. But anyway, though, point is, is there was a lot of people there. Yeah, so it's I, I think he can do two thousand people. Two thousand, but I'm going to tell you, I don't know. Can you can you even imagine Doyle and Jerry adding in another no. thirteen thousand people? Doyle just played. Uh, with with his band because he just put out the new record. He played, you know, the beauty bar out here, and it wasn't even half full. And so that's about that's about a hundred to two hundred people, three hundred maybe uh, that you can play there. It's like in the back venue. And then we've seen the Misfits with Jerry. I've seen him with you know Michael Graves. I've seen him all through the years, and they can maybe attract a lot less than Danzig could. So. But the reunion, you here's the thing: you can sell things to people on a crazy level. Like this is. There's a, they're only playing two shows in North America, so maybe people will fly out, drive out to but see this. Th- that's the issue is like Misfits fans don't like the punk rock scene is alive and well in northern Nevada where I grew up. It yeah. is huge in, in northern Nevada in Reno. There's a huge underground punk rock scene, but I've not seen anything like that in Vegas. The only people but I what know. what punk rock, this is, this, I guess this is where I'm at. What punk rock band do you want to see in an arena? And also punk rock kids don't pay $500 to see their no. favorite bands. We pay $5 at the door and get a stamp but on our hands. We're assuming that Misfits punk rock generation from late 70s and 80s is now has a lot of money. They will put the money down True. to see them. It's not a punk rock show. It is pretty much just 
just going to be like a corporate rock show, but it's a misfit show. Only if those teenagers from the 80s were saving money every single year, adding up to this one momentous occasion (laughs) is the only way that's going to happen. Right, because if it's 500 for GA. That's general mission. The the, the upper seats are are cheaper. You can get some for like, I think it was like 75 bucks. And then the the nosebleeds were like probably like the $30 one. So there's tickets available, but to see the misfits, a punk rock, to see a punk rock show in nosebleed seats. Is weird. Is weird. Like Maiden makes sense to me. Metallica makes sense to me. Yeah. ACDC, but so I don't know, dude. Like I said, I was excited. And then when I saw where they were playing and the whole situation, like. Well, my thing is this. The, the Misfits have always been a visual. You know, they go up there and they wear the shoulder pads with the spikes and, you know, that whole yeah. torture device looking thing. And the drum set is set up on, well, it looks like Castle Grayskull. Yeah. It's always been a visual thing. But it's but if you want to take a visual band to the next level, you look at Guar. There's no way Guar could do a whole stadium. There's just no possible way. I mean, they'll do a festival, yeah, but and that's what Misfits reunited at a festival, right? Fest in yeah. I think Chicago or Denver. I forgot which one I they think played. It was, I, think I think it was. I think it was Chicago, right? I think it was both. I think they did they, they Denver and, and, yeah. and Chicago, and that is a festival that yes. makes so much sense, you know. So and and I'm sure like the amount of money they can get at a festival is fantastic. The one-off shows that they're doing, and I think LA is going to sell. Maybe it is sold out. I didn't check that, but LA will sell a lot better because that is more of like where punk rock's origins came up. Yeah, and they're not playing on the East Coast. I the Misfits know. is an East Coast band, but that's what's weird. Like the crazy thing about this whole Misfits thing is like, who sold the band members on this idea for for them to play out here at the MGM Grand? Yeah, that's what I'm know. wondering. That's what mm-hmm. I'd be curious about. Is, is if I like, there's nothing about the Misfits that says they want to play that that venue. No, it goes against kind of. I, I think anybody that like. Grew up listening to the Misfits. Like I said, if, if the Dead Kennedys reunited with Jello Biafra, do I think they can sell out an arena? No. no. But do I think they can sell out a 5,000-room shack? Yes. Yeah. I want to see that. When Soundgarden reunited, they played out here. 5,000-seat shack, sold out. That made sense to I me. I will say this. Jello Biafra, too, still's got it. He no, he still does. has yeah, it. He'll always he have it. still has yeah. it. He's, and he's, I mean, we're talking the same energy, the same shit. Going out there, getting the crowd involved, he still has it. Yeah, and Danzig, so, on the other hand, not what he used to be. Nah, not saying he, that he can't do the job, right. but but when you listen to those old Misfits tunes, I mean, Danzig was hitting notes. Yeah. yeah, he was. I mean, he had one of those legendary voices, especially when you consider the genre of music that he was in. He was like one of those first guys that was. He had that big, round, open, warm voice. Yeah, like every note was that clear. Yes, I love it. But I, I think he hits the Misfits songs when I saw them. He was doing like a tour with, with Doyle. It was a couple years ago and he was playing Misfits songs and he was nailing those. I think it's harder for him to actually sing Danzig songs because those yeah. are where I vocally. I think that's where he really pushed yeah, it. Where he kind of does. So I think he'll sound great for a but Misfits show. But when he went from Misfits to Danzig, Danzig is more straight up. Yeah. metal hard rock yeah. you know there's misfits a lot more, is more syncopated yeah. punk is, rock is, stuff is, uh, yeah, misfits yeah. is it's a better. three chord yeah. band i mean yeah. it's, let's be honest it's here. very it's very classic punk rock yeah. so it's not as difficult to say thank you a three chord band in an arena what's your favorite it's misfits weird song? it's weird my favorite misfits song is probably uh we are 138 uh, oh, static I age i like halloween i like every misfit song i mean hollywood last, babylon uh, uh, I love that last song. caress we can do we last can do this caress. all day i i, I actually last caress the first song i learned to play on guitar I, Last uh, Caress is like everyone's favorite yeah. Misfit song, though. And um, yeah, dude, there's a there's a, a local H did a, an acoustic version of it, and it was great. But anyways, and so did Metallica. Everybody covered Last Caress. But what but, about uh, this one? Boners in the mosh pit. Great I don't song. think Danzig can hit that high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's up? <laughs> Boom, Jaws over Danzig. What's Any up? day. Any day. <laughs> I'm gonna start my own band, The Mist Hits. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> the tits fits. The tits fits. <laughs> <laughs> they both work. I can sell both. I can sell both those bands. Do the tit fits? They sure do. Does the tit fit? I'm not saying. I, I haven't seen. I we'll have, probably I, all end up going to the show. Brandon will yeah. get tickets. And, yes. I, and I, I have never been able We're to We're not going to pay. I've We're never go been able to see the Misfits live, ever. It's never worked I've out. I've seen them. It's never worked out for me. So I would love to see them. But well, in, obviously none of us have seen them with Danzig. Yes. Obviously. I no, saw no. him with Jerry. I we saw, saw him with Jerry. We saw him with Motorhead. Yeah, I saw him with Jerry back. over at uh, the Hard Rock Live. And that, again, that was another one. Very small, not a big venue, like but half the people. That's how I've been dreaming about seeing the Misfits since I was a teenager. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. It's in a like, dark in a shithole. In a dark, shitty bar. Yes. Where I have to like walk st- on a sticky floor to get a beer. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere to sit. <laughs> And where I don't want to piss. That's how I want to see the Misfits. You can't go in there wearing flip-flops. You just leave your shoes behind. <laughs> <laughs> what other reunions, though, that are like people are clamoring for are not like, and that's another thing I was thinking about. I'm like, what other reunion band, like, they shouldn't go the arena level? Like, if Sepultura came back with Cavaleras and the original guys, like, I, I know they'll sell out a 5,000 shack but would, are they really going to go they can do arena? the house of blues oh no they can they can do like a like a i wouldn't say five thousand i wouldn't say five thousand. Like Sepultura, a, really in vegas it's somewhere else somewhere else i think so somewhere else easy <laughs> yeah we're a weird town yeah somewhere else but vegas it's so hard for a band what about to, like a skid road you think they're an arena return no oh. no sebastian bach i think it's a big deal I for think, a lot of people i think it that, is i don't think it's about the band i think it's he's a, still got I it i think it's about oh, does, there's yeah. a there's a reason that 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 arena only sells out for, first of all, bands that have established them as, themselves as arena bands, Iron Maiden, Metallica. Yeah. And it also only sells out for garbage pop music because yeah. garbage pop music is what sells right now. But people who listen to metal and rock and stuff, that's the reason. They're, we're never going to sell out a 20,000 Well, they grew arena. up. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, the difference is this. Most of the people that really, really, really embrace the Misfits, well, guess what? They grew up. They're, now all of a sudden- kids. They, yeah, and- now all of a sudden they understand. They go, oh, wait a minute. So you, you killed a baby today? All of a sudden, it's not as cool anymore because now they have babies. And they're a cult band. They don't have the hits. All the songs I'm saying is because we grew up in that we underground. We grew up with them, yeah. Yeah, seeing, listening to these records so we know the songs. There's a lot of us out there, but there's not an arena of not, us. And especially not in one city. In one city. I mean, I mean Vegas is a destination, yeah, don't people, get me wrong, but how many people fly. are going to fly? Oh. 19,000 people are going to fly, buy a, tic- buy a $500 ticket, get a $300 hotel room, get a $500 plane ticket. And this is my question. Do you think they will, or do you think we're going to go see some crickets in there? I bro? think we're gonna see, I think that place is going to be half full. Yep. Yeah. I think it's going to be half full. And again, $500. All I'm saying is this. How many people do you know with a Misfits tattoo? And what do you think they pull in at the end of the year? You know twenty two grand. Yeah, exactly. They are one thirty eight. Yeah, exactly one hundred and thirty eight dollars. That's what they pull in. But n- another thing is that if, yearly if, annual paycheck. If there wasn't an LA show, then this show maybe would be double because people will drive from LA. I would yeah. see that. But now that they, ha- they, I mean, they have the LA show. They announced this afterwards. They should have done one. They should have done one in LA. That's it. They should have done one in New York. And yes, that's it. they need. The, and that's they it. Need the fact they're not doing an East Coast show. That bothers me too. At the very like least, I said, a knitting factory show, like something small. Yes. Yeah. Misfits are not a West Coast punk band. The East Coast punk bands, like I respect them highly and I love them, but like that's where you guys are from. That you guys need to reunite over there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we got our West Coast punk bands. Will Black Flag reunited with Rollins sell out an arena? Yeah. No. I, I feel like maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like on the East Coast, there on the West Coast, like the Misfits, I, I see these younger punk. Kids and misfits and bands like that, the Clash, they're all 
they're less of a band they love and more of like a, a symbol of the style of music they love. Like I see kids wearing yeah. Misfit shirts. I know they're not listening to the Misfits because I'm I'm standing next to them at a Silverstein concert, you know, yeah. like or whatever. Like it's it doesn't like so I don't know that. No, they are fashion. They're, they're that, that's one they, thing. It's a good point. They're very fashionable. Yeah, and there's a lot of punk rock bands that are fashionable that aren't going to the Ramones, the Clash. But that's where I, that, that's a factor. I don't know that might bring people but to I also the concert. Think with the, I also think with the, the Misfits too. I mean. The fact that Jerry Only and Danzig were shredded and ripped, shirtless. I mean, they brought that appeal to punk rock too. You know, yeah. like I mean, I'm not saying people weren't shirtless and stuff on punk rock, but they were all skinny and emaciated. All, you know, girls hung were strapping out. up their knee-high platform boots to get yes. out there and try and get some Danzig. When dick. I went out there, <laughs> when I went out there to uh, when I saw last time I saw Danzig, <laughs> last time I to saw you. Danzig, there were so many. <laughs> last time I saw Danzig, there were so many like 45 year old plus <laughs> chicks that were wearing shit that they should not have been wearing like go back to your mom jeans right now <laughs> awesome like man. i didn't know they sold mesh shirts at kohl's <laughs> <laughs> and one more question in the that will never get old to me I one more question guys before we move on and uh to our interviews here uh if pantera united without dimebag do you think they would sell out an arena yes i'm still okay. heartbroken i, I still I, yeah. I think they would just because i do believe pantera Here's the thing. And do I think Misfits are one of those bands that d- even even d- despite every time you go to a rock show, you're going to see that skull, you're going to see that that famous emblem, mm-hmm. the Misfits, the, the, the Misfits skull. Despite that, they still their music. Now the look, the look, and the and the and the what do you call the it? image, the image and stuff like that. That's really what got that band over the hump. Now, Pantera, on the other hand, I think they completely changed metal. They completely. But that's the thing is, Pantera has almost established themselves in as, as an arena band already. There's already been a, arena shows for Pantera. That's the difference between Misfits and Pantera in this situation. Exactly, she nailed it. No, you're right. Is because they were an arena band before they went off, and that's what I'm trying to say. That's what you have to look at. Are it all depends on, on the who same... they get to card. It all depends on who they get to it's play guitar. It's just so weird. No, no, I don't just, get just, it. It's a hypothetical. Is is the Misfits on Pantera on the same level that they could play no. the same venues? No, no, exactly. It's just a strange. It's a strange decision. That's why I said I'm so curious how this came to be. Like hell yeah, would hell yeah, and Superjoint. No, not Superjoint, but hell so yeah, sorry. would be able to sell out a venue before the Misfits, the reunited Misfits. I think. Jesus, really? Hell yeah, yeah. bro! Oh, I, I'm gonna over, say hell no to that. Over, <laughs> what I'm not talking about a five thousand seat arena. I'm talking the about Misfits can sell out a five thousand seat arena. Hell, I don't think. Hell I think not Misfits, in Vegas. So. I don't not think. Vegas. I don't think hell yeah has the fault. Like you have to be like a hardcore yeah. like fan Maybe, to like right. hell yeah. But I'm just saying, like that was I a think, delusional comment. You should take that back. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I will. Okay, but but what I'm saying is, is like I just don't see it. Again, I'm talking about Vegas. I just don't see it happening in Vegas. Well, we have a unique perspective because we, about we produce and perform in shows in Vegas, and we know how difficult it is to get people to buy tickets. There's so much free entertainment. Yeah. I already paid $300 to fly here. I'm going to spend money on gambling. I'm going to spend money on food. I'm going to spend money on booze. Now you want me to pay $500 to see my favorite band? Yeah. I would love to, but I'm fucking broke now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, dude, it's an interesting conversation. I think the Mesfits will work okay in different venues, like you guys said. But uh, they're not on the same level as a reunion with like Pantera. I hope they prove us wrong. Yeah, so do I. I, I do too. I will be there. I, I, I would love for them to prove us wrong. I but hope at the that same we go time, and it's sold out and packed and we're all miserable old people that are like, it's too crowded. And here's another thing too, one thing you got to consider. And again, I'm going off of the worst market in the world. We're talking about Las Vegas as far as getting bands though. But it's like, usually when a rock band or a metal band or a punk band sells out a venue... 
it, it's it, the only time you see like a big, huge crowd is when they do the festivals. That's why a lot of these guys come with five other bands. Yeah. yeah. You know, that helps that helps building arena. Exactly, guys. Well, it was a good talk. So uh, let me move on, guys. Before the interviews, I want to tell you guys something real important about Metal Blade Records. Do not forget this Friday, guys, the new Nightbringers by Black Dolly Murder. That record is coming out. I already pre-ordered my copy. Make sure you get that. But I want to tell you guys about another record that is on its way. It's November 3rd. Mark your calendar. Campbell Corpse returns with their latest, my friends, Red Before Black, produced by Eric Rutan. Red Before Black once more raises the stakes, proving that the soon-to-be 30-year death metal veterans are still unstoppable. Catch the band on tour this fall, along with Power Trip and Gate Creeper. Pre-order the album and get tour dates at metalblade.com slash cannibalcorpse, guys. Metalblade.com slash cannibalcorpse. Do not miss out on this new record. Their last four records, I think, are their finest hours. I cannot wait to get this one on my hands. And do, do not miss out on fucking Nightbringers this Friday, October 6th. If you didn't pre-order it, go. I got mine. It's $7.99 for CD at Amazon or pre-ordered. Like what that. you guys didn't see is Pete was saying this. He he was trying his hardest. He had his, he had fists, and he was trying his hardest not to pound on the desk. Because he's so excited. Because he's so excited. Oh, I'm when he so was excited about the new, get that new record. Corpse, right? He's like, oh. I got the last four, and he banged, and he and he kind of like pounded the air because he didn't because because the mics the mics are attached to the table, <laughs> so he didn't want to screw up the show. Anyways, enough of us are nonsensicals. Bro, you're okay? a pro, definitely, dude, definitely. Uh, now um, we're gonna run into our first interview. Don't fucking play that. First interview, guys, of the uh, the episode. I was lucky enough to talk to Simone Simons on the phone from Epica while they were on tour with Lacuna Coil in Insomnia. That tour, uh, it did end September 29th, but uh, we're here to talk about the Solace System, the new record, and a couple more things. So let's jump right into that interview with me and Simone. This is Peter with the Metal Sucks podcast. I have on the phone with me Simone Simmons um, from Epica. We are here to talk about the new EP, the, Sol- the Solace System. Um, how are you doing today? How's the tour going with Lacuna Coil and Insomnium? I'm doing great. We are today in Los Angeles, going to play at the Nova Theater. We're in the middle of the tour right now. Things are going smooth. We're having a good time. And yeah, things are going well. Thanks for asking. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, so the Holographic Principle came out just one year ago. Uh, fans, critics yes. loved it. Fantastic record. Um, in those writing sessions, there was so much creative material that you guys were proud of that you just released the Solace System EP. What do you think? Correct. Uh, yeah. What do you th- uh, What do you think made that writing session so fruitful for you guys to have all this great material come out of it? Yeah, I think our biggest advantage uh, that Epica has is that we have five songwriters. So, you know, whenever we got free time, whenever the inspiration uh, kicks in. The guys just start writing, and and we had this huge amount of songs to uh, to work on for the Holocaust Principle. There were like twenty six songs. We picked eighteen that we actually recorded, and after at the end of the recording, then we started selecting. Okay, what's going to be on the CD, and which songs, uh, yeah, which songs don't don't fit in all that well. You know, everybody made their selection. We all have our personal preferences, and a lot of the songs selection uh were identical with the exception of a couple of songs and then that's where the 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 solar system ep kind of came to our minds like let's keep these six awesome songs together and not scatter them over different editions uh like we've done in the past so um, we've never released an ep and we thought okay we have one cd 75 minutes of music we didn't want to do a double cd and uh yeah i think this is Really, uh, we kind of tore those 
songs uh, apart or like we, we separated them and not released everything at the same time. And uh, things uh, worked out really well and the fans are are happy with our decision to uh, to release an EP as well. Very much, very much we are. And so was there, uh, during that song, the breakdown process, was there a song on the Solid System that you wanted on the Holographic Principle? Yeah. <laughs> uh, which song was but that? that uh, I really liked Architect of Light, but it uh, it was uh, not a favorite of, of everybody, so... Yeah, that's that's the thing. We're a democratic band. Everybody gets to have their vote. We all have equal. Uh, how do you say? Uh, yeah, equal. Like equally as much power and and yeah. So that's yeah. But then I thought, okay, it's going to be an EP. It's not going to get lost as a bonus track somewhere. And uh, then I was at peace with the decision. Awesome, yeah. So, and then you you have a passion for photography, and we'll get into that later. But when music videos come out, you do a like the whole process of making a music video. But for for the Solace System, you guys did choose to do an anime video. Um, are you by chance a fan of anime, or is that is someone in the band a big fan of it? Well, we have uh, Kun, our keyboarder. He came up with that idea, and the thing is, we have we're touring all the time for the Holographic Principle. We've done so many videos, photo shoots, and uh, he then came up with the idea to do do it like this, to have three uh, songs. Like the the story will will how do you say make sense as soon as the third video will be released. But uh, yeah, like this, we could still be at home in the meantime in all in between all the touring and all the promo stuff we're doing we don't have to do extra videos and um also something we haven't done before so it was all yeah it was, it was a good good way of um creating videos like that but i myself am not uh involved in that creative process that will be our uh, keyboard player coon he wrote the, um, the script and he's writing the script for the third video which will be released, I don't know, <laughs> somewhere in the future. But I do really love the creative part with photo shoots and, and video shoots where Epica is actually taking part. I like the, I like the visual part as well next to the, the, uh, the audio. And um, it's, it's also very important, you know, the artwork and the guy that does her artwork for the CD. He's one of my best friends. And for the Solar System, the, the cover picture was shot at my home. And my son is actually like running around me on those photos, but you don't see him because it's all, he got photoshopped out, but he was photobombing me <laughs> the, the whole photo shoot. It was fun. It was that really is. fun. And that's something people don't know sometimes is that just being an artist in like a band, you guys get to write a script for like a music video. There's always avenues to other art forms to keep it very, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for you guys. Yeah, that's what I love well. about it. Yeah. There's no, there's no like just set, thing there's so many different things i do love that very much about uh any any form of art that you can branch out like that so and you you've been touring music you, you've been a touring musician since you were 18 is that correct correct yeah did mm -hmm. you ever have another like job before epica or was it this was like the first real job uh well i had like holiday jobs you know to get some extra cash for for the holidays so i worked in a hospital i i worked on a farm you know Picking out weed, <laughs> uh, as in, uh, yeah, like uh, not not weed to smoke. <laughs> don't don't misunderstand me. It was not a marijuana weed, <laughs> like the potato plants, like tr keeping them from being uh, destroyed by the weed growing there. So um, 
and uh, yeah, at the hospital I was. So those two doing jobs. all the dirty jobs that the nurses didn't want to do, like for a couple of weeks, and I worked as a makeup artist as well. But that was already when I was with uh, with Epica. Yeah, so I mean, those two jobs just make Epica sound amazing. Picking out weeds and dirty <laughs> jobs at the hospital. So that they, and so <laughs> people do change and grow so much from like their teen years to like adulthood. Like the change for me, for example, when I was eighteen to twenty-five, mentally and all those things were just profound. I couldn't even mm-hmm. recognize myself as eighteen. So to have the same kind of career and job, um, did you ever have struggles wanting to do other careers or anything like that during the time frame in Epica? Well, I guess everybody always thinks the grass is greener on the other side, you know, and uh, you you look at the positive and, and there's always negatives. And when, you know, the traveling sometimes gets to you physically, mentally and being away from your family, I guess that's the biggest sacrifice we have to make. But on the other hand, there are so many struggling musicians that have a really shitty day job, can't make any money from music or don't have enough time to create music. And that's something that we have been given. You know, we have the right, we have the finances, we can live from music and uh, we can tour. But the negative side is touring means being away from family. So it's it's a struggle sometimes. And um, some of us have kids, not all of us. So, uh, yeah, but you got, you got to make a living and, and still looking at the positive side. Yeah. Pretty awesome to do this job. And you sometimes forget that when you're, uh, yeah, when you're inside the whole circus, it's hard to sometimes step out and have a look like, shit, what we're, what we're doing is pretty awesome. <laughs> so sometimes you need to take time to reflect and uh, be, uh, be thankful again. And also, yeah, yeah. Uh, Enjoy what you're doing. Don't get stuck in the negative all the time. And that, and that's exactly it. Is like from the outside looking in, it looks like the best thing ever. But there is so much work, especially in this day and age, for any artist. I don't care if you're actor, visual artist, anything like that. So much more work. People put in sixty hour days. You know that normal people can mm-hmm. do about forty mm-hmm. hour days. It's just a different a different thing. So and as you did mention, you are a proud parent, um, and you chose to keep your child off the road during touring. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. What age do you think would be like good to to bring him on a tour? Is it going to be like later, later? I will never bring him with me on a full tour because it's just no. Uh, I don't think this is the right environment for kids to really grow up in. You know, they need daylight, they need structure, they need safe environment, quiet environment, <laughs> and need to play with their peers. You know. Yes. And uh, a couple of days is fine just to get a little bit of, uh, how do you say, experience. But he's seen a couple of shows, festivals. But I just noticed he wants to play. He wants to have fun. And, and I don't want to put him in front of an iPad backstage all day. And then, you know. That's funny. That's, that's, that's my next question. But that, that's funny because I have a 21-month-year-old and I catch myself giving him the iPad all the time just so I can do dishes or something normal. And my wife yeah, but I, hates this. <laughs> I do it too. Every once, every once in a while, the kids need downtime. But if you limit it, I mean, every parent does their parenting the way they think. It's, it's, you know, we all do our best. I guess we all make mistakes. But mm-hmm. I, my son is very active, and he needs to go outside. He needs to get rid of his energy. But he's he's been glued to the iPad every once in a while as well. So yeah, don't feel bad about that. I do it all the time. I'm like, here you go cars. And it's just, okay, I can do dishes. I can do laundry. He's okay. But, and that's true. It's like, we only have a small world for such a short time in our lives before we see how grand and huge it is. 
And I think, yeah. yeah, if you took him on tour, he would he would maybe be overwhelmed with a lot of the stuff that, that he that goes through. He won't have that little comfortable world that a lot of people get when they're growing up. So I I, mm-hmm. I, I, I applaud that. That's great. So um, but I, I, for me, parenting, I'm a, I have a very laid back approach. And then my lady, she has more, you know, she has more anxiety and she's like, don't do this. Don't do that. Do that. So that, and, and, and you're in your lifestyle. Are you more of the anxious one? Or are you more laid back? I'm laid back, <laughs> laid back and lazy back, <laughs> laid back too. Or is it more like, is he more anxiety driven? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I guess a little bit of both trying to get the balance. And it's, it's also a learning process being a parent because there's no book, no right or wrong way to do it. It's all in intuition. And if it comes from a place of love, I guess, then, you know, then, then you're doing a good job. 100% agree. I 100% agree. If, if you're positive and it comes from love, you can't be wrong, really. So, mm-hmm. but um, and then uh, there was another thing. You do run a blog called Smoon Style. Uh, recently, you commemorated yes. seven years. Congratulations. Um, Thanks. <laughs> no problem. What does it take uh, to make like a, a blog successful these days? Uh, wow, that's a good question. I mean, you also, I also grew, I, if I look at the first blog post, I was like, ooh, <laughs> that's like a little bit cringeworthy or, or cute or, you know, I can tell I went through quite a development myself. And um, love and dedication is the same thing, you know, if you, if you are sincere, if you, you know, if you put your heart in it and sometimes you're productive, hey, been an interview. Sometimes you're productive, and sometimes uh, you don't have any motivation. And then I also don't do it because I want to keep it sincere. You know, I don't want to push it too much just to be, uh, yeah, productive. <laughs> because people in the end catch on to that as well. So, yeah, it's it's still a, a passion of mine. But I've put the leisure time that I have ha- that I have written up that more into photography. Which will also, of course, be a plus for the blog, but less time to write about uh, other things because I'm working on Photoshop and Lightroom all the time. <laughs> yeah. So when did you st- when did your uh, passion for photography uh, start? Do you remember what age? Uh, what age? I always loved it because my dad uh, had many. Uh, he's into it a lot. So I guess with with Epica, it kind of started. I always had a camera with me. Uh, to take with me, collect memories, but like really more professionally, I guess when I had the blog, that's where I kind of really started to spark in me that, you know, investing in equipment, learning. And since, since two years or something, I'm really like heading towards being a pro. (laughs) Nice. Nice. I, I found an old, my, my mom had an old Minolta. And it was like from like the eighties. And so I, it still works. I went to, there's only amazingly enough, I'm in Las Vegas. So there's only one camera store where you can actually get older, you know, cameras and parts and lenses and stuff like that. So I went to this camera mm-hmm. store, I invested all these money on lenses and, and gels and all that stuff. And I went out to the mountains out here and I just took, you know, some pictures and all that stuff. And I developed them, you know, professionally with actual film and the difference in quality and just, I guess the peacefulness I got from that experience was, was, uh, it was just changing. And I know people don't photograph that way anymore because obviously time, money, 
all those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that's really sad that the generations ahead of us won't experience like messing with the aperture. It doesn't even have a, like a autofocus, you know, so <laughs> I messed up quite yeah. a few pictures, but like, uh, d- did you start with something that, um, simple or did you kind of have more of the, uh, the modern approach with the, with the camera stuff? Yeah, I don't do analog. Uh, I, I'm digital. <laughs> nice, nice, yeah. What is the last picture that you took that you can remember that you were really impressed with? Can you describe it to us? Well, uh, my my favorite style of photography is portraiture, so I, I try to catch the guys on tour because they all have interesting features. <laughs> and uh, I photograph them, and uh, I really like the... The last portrait I shot was from my great uncle when we met in, uh, he lived in San Francisco, he came down to Berkeley where we were at, or Oakland, and I told him, can I shoot your portrait, because he's 88, and, and we all don't have a good photo of him, it's always uh, quick camera snapshots, and uh, I took out my, my gear, and I was like, okay, let's let's shoot a couple of pictures, and he was all up for it, and the thing is that he's an... Um, He's into ancestry, so he's like researching our family history. And then he showed me pictures of my great 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 grandparents, and I loved it. I loved that portrait portrait style. So I thought I need to take a photo of him as well before you know. You never know. Every time I come to the US, I don't know if he's still around because we always meet when I'm here. He never comes to Europe, and he's 88. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I have to sh- shoot a p- portrait of him. And, uh, yeah, that was my last photo shoot, and I, I liked the photos that came out of it. And I think, I, I, yeah, I posted one on my Instagram as well. Nice, nice. That sounds special, man. That's going to be great. So did you send – and everybody <laughs> saw it on the Instagram. So that, that's great. I mean, I, I think that uh, portraits are kind of – I don't know what the, the word I'm looking for is. They're kind of the most uh, genuine um, pictures yeah. mm-hmm. you know, that you can look at and you can take time because, I mean, humans are all – so so beautiful in their own right, all different, all that stuff like that. But when it's like family and you can kind of see a little bit of image of you in them, I always find that to be mm-hmm. really, really fascinating. So um, we, you're currently on tour. We just talked about it with uh, Lacuna Coil, Insomnium. Uh, tour ends September 29th out in New York. Uh, I believe PlayStation Theater. Uh, hopefully I'm not wrong on that. Um, but uh, You're correct. I am correct. Okay. I was like, oh, I didn't write that down. <laughs> so you're halfway there. You got L.A. tonight. Um, which show or which crowd has been the most impressive so far on the tour? Oh. Um, listening, too, just so you know. That's, that's <laughs> tricky, yeah. It, it all depends on many factors, you know. Uh, the stage, the height of the stage. Sometimes if we're really high, then it's like, it feels like you're looking at the audience being in the pool and it's different, difficult to connect. But we had some awesome shows in Canada. Um, Seattle was a really nice venue because we always played a little bit at more crappier venues, you know, with like huge pillars in the venue and you're, you're looking at a pillar instead of the audience. So I think for me, every show has something special. And whenever I see the faces in the audience singing along to the songs, losing them, like leave it living their shitty lives behind and enjoying the music. That's that's why we're doing it, I guess. Because we lived for music in the past. We are fans from certain bands and they I always say music is like a like an invisible friend for life, you know? And seeing recognizing that in the audience that they are having a good time, that they connect to the music, then I think we're doing a good job and that's when I enjoy it also the most. 
That's, that's a great point you brought up. Like anytime I've ever felt alone, that's what I turn to is music. I don't make a phone call. I don't do anything like that. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And uh, so mm-hmm. when you hear those songs, like, in, and I don't know what song's going to hit me or when I need a song. I always say, hey, I need this song. And then when you hear that song live, it just brings you back to those, those memories. Mm-hmm. The last time you guys were out here in Vegas was at the Vinyl, which is my, probably my favorite place to play. I don't know if, if that's correct. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the last time. You guys might have been here before or after. Yeah, we played at the Vinyl uh, last time we were in the States, yeah. It was, I love that venue. It was, it was right up there. You guys are, were all around you. You know, it was just a fantastic place. So I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, it's, it's kind of intimate, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so many places because everything isn't a casino out here. Um, aren't really that way, except if you you know, there's different venues that are kind of like off. But like, if you want to play in the safer areas, obviously you're gonna kind of get the casinos. But mm-hmm. that, that was definitely one of my one of my favorite uh, venues out here. So it was great. I hope you guys do come back on the venue. I know you're. I know we're not getting to stop this tour, but it's no big deal. Um, so mm-hmm. with uh, you know, with the tour, you guys are touring with Lacuna Coil. They were kind of in the, when you were growing up, were you a big fan of them? Because they were just right before, and uh, how important they were to the scene, right before Epica kind of mm-hmm. did the rise. Were you a big fan of theirs before? Is this kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm touring a little bit with, uh, with uh, idols in any way? Well, uh, Christina is one of my uh, best friends in the music scene, so it's cool to have a friend on tour. And I know her since the beginning of Epica, like personally, and before I... I one of the first parties I went to, like the gothic parties back then, they were playing Lacuna Coil, and I really fell in love with the music. So it's it's cool to see where we're at right now, you know. And it also shows that people should never uh, never think that it's not possible, you know. Or how do you say that? You don't want to sound like all gooey and cheesy that dreams can come true, but. If you work hard enough and if you believe in yourself, you're you're going to get somewhere in life. So don't be, uh, uh, yeah, don't think that it's just a dream because if you work hard, you you can get far in life. I, I, and it won't happen instantly. It won't happen overnight. But yeah, with a lot of patience, persistence, once again, love what you do and put, put your passion in it. I'm taking your chair. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. You're totally fine. Hard work no, always, I, I would, always pays I, off. That's what I, I tell people. You might not know it I, at this time, but it, it adds up yeah. and adds up. And then one day you'll be like, all right, here I am. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, it's, it's the not quitting or not stopping or not letting people... I, I, I'm a, I, and I don't know if you agree with me. I'm a big believer in, 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 in the people you let into your life. Decide a lot. Mm-hmm. There you go. If you let a lot of negative people in your life, unfortunately, that's going to overwhelm kind of any progress you have. I, and that's the one thing I always, mm-hmm. you know, my son's so, he's not even two yet, but I, that's what I'm going to keep beating him his head. Hey, positive people, hardworking people, you know, those are the ones yeah. always going to make you feel, you know, that you can kind of rise as well. So. But uh, and that's that's uh, it's different in this society because so many people relate to you know the computer and kind of the online life, kind of a fake life more than the real life. So it's going to be different. It's going to be interesting to see how uh, the world changes as we get a little bit older. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so Simone, I want to thank you so much for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast. Everybody, the Solace System is out. The EP is out right now. Uh, if you missed for some reason last year, the Holographic Principle. I highly recommend checking that out first. They are selling them together in a deluxe edition. Um, so if you don't have one, definitely get them both. Holographic Principles, <laughs> one, of the, one of the best albums of last year for sure. I think a lot of people will agree with that. So 
It's great to Thank have you. new material so soon. It was so soon. I was like, an EP? Wait a minute. Let me look at this. Is it just live tracks? No, it's real songs. <laughs> I'm, jumping on. I'm jumping on. So, And then I know it's too soon to ask about writing and recording a new record, so we're going to give you guys time. I'm going to leave you be on that. So, Yeah, we're going to take our time. We're touring nonstop, and then we're going to see, uh, see where the creativity takes us and no pressure at all. We want to come up with genuine, awesome music, so we're not going to put the deadlines too soon. And uh, we we will be back with uh, quality music. <laughs> Excellent. So once again, I want to thank you so much. And guys, do not miss them on tour with Lacuna Coil, Insomnium, all the way till September 29th, as we mentioned before. So Simone, thank you so much for calling in. You're welcome. You have a great day. You too. Bye.
Metal Sucks Podcast. So we are back. Uh, the songs you heard, the first one, guys, is off the, uh, the Solace System EP by Epica. It is the title track, The Solace System. The next song is off the new Necrotic Wasteland record. I'm such a huge fan of Nile. I'm really, really 
into this record. Dallas uh, is his first record from Leaving Nile, and uh, dude, it was it's amazing. I got a, a, an advanced copy. I've been listening to it, and that song is called Faces of Meth, which was a great name for a song. But dude, you guys don't miss out. That one comes out October thirteenth. The ne- Necrotic Wastelands record. So definitely at least you know get your ears on that when you have a chance. And Faces of Meth, one of my favorite internet memes. You've and, been a lot. Yeah, and my favorite, one of my favorite web like trends is finding faces of meth. <laughs> yeah. I feel better already. It's, it's worth Googling and seeing what it's happens. It's a real thing. But if yeah. you get to that track, you'll be like, hey, it's awesome. So <laughs> guys, we got, like I said, part two. Last week we did our first in, uh, part one interview with uh, Axel and Chris Crovaton, a.k.a. Emperor Armas, about their book, Hellraisers. This is the continuation. of This is part two. If you haven't, go to Amazon right now. Make sure you pre-order Hellraisers, guys. Here is the, uh, you just cut me off. <laughs> Here is the interview. <laughs> he just turned my mic off with Axel. I did not mean that. And Emperor Rhombus, guys. Obviously, the chapters that neither one of you guys cared about wasn't as motivating. But what about the chapters like, I love this genre and I have to represent this? That had to be really kind of anxiety driven. So, Chris, let me start with you this time. What chapter in the book were you like, I cannot in no way, shape, or form misrepresent this genre? Subgenre. Ah, that's tough, man. I had to. I had to be good to thrash, man, because thrash was sort of the metal that, like, after I got in via via uh, new metal, like thrash was the genre that like got me, like Slayer uh, and Exodus and fucking even like newer thrash bands like Carnal Forge and Witchery and shit. Like, I just wanted like fast, powerful, galloping metal, and so I just loved that shit when I was a teenager. Because uh, as you know, as a new metal kid, like. Like, there was either new metal or there was, like, melodic death metal. And so just, like, old-school fucking thrash wasn't happening. And so you had to, like, you know, go out and, like, she, I wonder where Overkill are playing, what shitty little clubs. So that was, the, that was the chapter that I was heading into being, like, you have to be real about these bands and you have to talk about the big four with some, you know, with some, uh, uh, I don't know, determination and whatnot. Like, representing Slayer in a book to me is, like, the most important thing in the world because Slayer were the most important band in the world to me and, and you know, in many ways still are to this day. So so that was the chapter where I was, like, you know, just maybe not be careful, but, like, do your homework and take your time and, and more than anything, get your love of it out there. You know what I mean? Because, like, it's so easy to be clinical in these things and describe, like, you know, known for its galloping rhythms and you know, distorted guitars, and it's a lot harder to be like, here's why I love Ride the Lightning. You know what I mean? So That is, that is I think, hands down, the most, I, I don't want to say important genre to me in my mind, but that is the gateway for everybody in the future to get to the, the other stuff to be. Thrash is always going to be the most, I think, palatable for new people. I talk about in the book, you know, man, it, it kept metal cool. Where like metal, metal was on a path to like what there were just one too many dragons and one too much, one too many mentions of like stone or like about like you know like killing and thrilling and stuff like that. Like glam metal had this whole sort of thing of like I'm just a dirty boy down on the streets, you know, looking for a little sex and money. And, you and, are and, missing your calling. What's up? You are missing your calling. What, as, as, a, as a glam metal vocalist? Uh-huh. <laughs> You're nobody's fool. I'm just a dirty author writing a book about this dirty metal music. Um, but, uh, but Thrash was the band being like a fucking nuclear bomb. Thrash was the band. Thrash was the, the genre being like a nuclear bomb's going to murder us all. You know, uh, 
uh, Satan is going to rise from the pit and he's going to look like a uh, horrible desiccated corpse and stuff like that. And so it, it made metal angry and fast and energetic. And, and so for that, I think it's really important and in many ways the most important genre. Uh, Axel, same question. What genre did you tackle that you're like, dude? I, I, I'm going to go the other way with it. And I'm going to say the, the newer shit to me felt like, I felt like I had more of a responsibility. So like, because uh, the last two chapters are our new wave of American heavy metal, also called metalcore and uh, deathcore and jet. And that to me, first of all, I just I also have a soft spot for that stuff because that's all the stuff that was on the rise when we launched Metal Sucks. But second of all, like n- that stuff has not really been written about yet. And without being arrogant about it, I knew that there was a potential that we could be setting the tone for how these bands are discussed moving forward. Uh, whereas, like, if you don't like our point of view on death metal, Albert Mudrian has a great book, uh, Ian Christie has a great book, you know, like, there's 10,000 other people who have written about that shit. Um, whereas this was just like, okay, we're first through the door for this. Like, how, what are we going to say about it? And, and that's a very good thing, because there's a point, though, where we uh, we kind of... Don't we have the sub genres, but it's a it's it's not as I guess prevalent with the time frame. Like I don't know what it's it's kind of during the age of internet where I feel like like you're saying all these show like the new wave of American heavy metal. You have bands that you can you can put every genre in there. You can do metalcore. You can do a band like uh, Trivium or Bullet from a Valentine or Avenged Sevenfold and consider them right. Lamb of God. You can put in there uh, Hatebreed. Right. You can put in there. So it's like all these sub genres kind of became. I guess metal to cover that in a time frame is going to be a little tougher because you're going to miss something then because you're not going to just look straight at the one, one, one centered, I guess, um, scene. If that makes sense. Two, two things. That metal core chapter is, was definitely like we even say in the book, like there are a lot of bands that straddle a lot of different lines here and like Hatebreed could be here or they could be in hardcore. And like Dillinger could be here or could be in hardcore. Uh, like there's a lot of bands like that. So we just ran with it and acknowledged that. Um, but we also talk about, like to me, that's one of the great things about that moment in time. It was all these dudes who grew up on Headbangers Ball with like five bands and different subgenres all being played in one block and like growing up and synthesizing all of that so that it was like, it was heavy and it was melodic at the same time, and it incorporated hardcore, like nobody was getting beaten up for not having long hair or whatever. Um, so I think that's a really interesting aspect of that moment. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, and that's another thing that I always wondered, and, and Chris, you can you can jump on this one first, and then I'll go back to you, Axel. I always wondered is because there wasn't necessarily a scene, and it was more of like an amalgamation of all these different kind of genres at once, like from Scandinavia, from America, all these things, that if it hurt a band to break through at all, because they were like, like I know certain bands did, like Lamb of God, Meshuggah, you know, certain ones did, but there wasn't another Metallica in that subject in, in that time frame you know um unless you guys disagree with me. i mean i sort of i hear what you're saying in that it was it was a weird period of time where like it was you know i was it's it sort of returned to this weird thing we were just talking about with headbangers fall with like venom and poison together is like i remember uh as a kid seeing a tour where it was halford testament immortal and amana marth 
on the same like bill together. Or I saw Motorhead with Morbid Angel opening, and like that was perfectly normal because like they were all just metal, and so you were either like hard rock, like popular hard rock, or you were like a metal band, and so because of that, there wasn't the same sort of thing of like metal being kind of driven to a point. You know what I mean? It was a bunch of different bands with different sounds creating different sorts of music. And so that for me is really the era when the subgenre loyalty burns. But, um, but yeah, so I, I just think that, uh, you know, for bands, it wasn't as easy as breaking through because you were always a thing. You know, you were something where suddenly a band like Mastodon became like the biggest metal band of our, you know, era and, and were hugely awesome but we're always had this bit of like stoner progressiveness to him, to them, you know? And so I, I think it was very hard for bands to sort of be the metal band when you could be like, when like, you know, the bands that were kind of being lumped together were bands as different from like, you know, Opeth to Mastodon. And so you had a lot of, you know, outside people being like, oh, that's all metal. While within metal, everyone was freaking out and drawing their lines and stuff like that. I think it's also worth noting that those bands ascension happened right at the moment when the record industry like went in the dumps 100% so there was a certain aspect of bad luck to that and like in I think that's that's interesting man because it was also this era of like bands rising on their sort of own power you know what I mean uh-huh. where like it was an era where I remember metal sort of became cool again like like metal not just like bad music and so, like, you had, you know, your random-ass friends coming up to you being like, dude, have you heard of High on Fire or Mastodon? And so, I agree that I think the, the record industry's sort of careful shepherding of what music was or cool was or whatever, you know, crumbling to the ground really helped and hindered these bands. So, you got a bunch of cool quotes from a lot of great artists out there like Joel Grine, Mike Schleybaum. I hope I said his name wrong. or I mean, right. <laughs> I always say that. <laughs> Schleybaum? That's, that's right, right? I've always said Schleibaum, but honestly, yeah, I said it wrong in the interview. I feel like a dick. (laughs) He corrected me. Yeah, I'll just call him Mike. Yeah, Um, and then uh, you got a lot of guys. You know, Matt Hiffy, uh, Matt Hiffy. He told me in the interview to did the uh, the forward, and he was nervous about that. He was saying, you know, in the interview, he's like, I didn't know if I was supposed to be funny. He did like research for it, which I thought was adorable. Um, But all these guys. Got their uh, got their imprint in there, uh, helping to promote this. Was there anybody you reached out to, and they're like, "Nah." Um, nobody said nah, but a couple of people flaked, oh. uh, which isn't which isn't shocking because like they're musicians. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to name names because like I don't want to shame anybody. No. But there were definitely a couple of dudes who they were like, "Oh yeah, I'm right on top of that dude," and then just fucking never came up with anything. You knew I was going to hit yeah. you with a clickbait yeah, I mean, question, Axel. You know that's what I do. <laughs> trying to get one there, and, it would, and and in a fucked up way, it might benefit me to tell you. But for the time being, I'm not going to burn those bridges. But yeah, so uh, which one was your favorite get though? Who who penned the penned your favorite? Like you read, it, you're like, yes. Getting Matt to do the forward was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But in terms of the recommendations, God, I don't know. I love all those dudes. Yeah. I mean, I'm always going to have a, like, Mike's a buddy. I'm always going to have a soft spot for him. JR is the front man of, like, basically my favorite band. So I'm always going to have a soft spot for him. But uh, Brendan Small, like, I just can't even believe that, like, he'll talk to me or us. <laughs> hey, Chris, man, any, any, uh, what about you? Anybody that you're like, whoa. 
I mean, you know, it was, it was, well, first of all, getting mad for the Ford was awesome because Matt is like, you know, Matt is one of those dudes who I've, I've said before that there's like a short list of people in metal who is just, or just like a pleasure to talk to and deal with and are intelligent and, and cool. And Matt's obviously one of them. And on top of that, he's also like a fucking, you know, guitar magus. So he's, he was a dude who just, when he agreed, I was just like so excited. Also excited to have somebody who's a little newer in metal, you know, who's not just one of the old guard, like somebody who, who has lived through it the way we have. Um, in terms of the recommendations, um, I mean, the JR quote where he said he laughed so hard his scrotum exploded was to me like, like I, I remember coming to the publishing house being like, put this on everything. And they were like, no. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, what's cool for me is, is that dudes like, like Joel Grind was one, Joel Grind from Toxic Holocaust, who we, we reached out to, I was just like, do we want to get Joel Grind? And Axel was like, if, if we can get Joel Grind totally. And I reached out to his people and they were like, he wants you to send him a physical printout of the book. And so I sent him this printout with this note and like a week later we got this quote. And so it's just always cool in that respect and dealing with Mark Reddick for the cover and everything. To, to reach out to these guys you see as these like fucking figures in metal and have them realize that they're fans of metal too and that they're down to talk and that they're into what you're into so it was just it was very cool to have all these people like again like Brendan Small like Mike Schleibam 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 um, uh, to have awesome musicians just come out and, and be supportive of what we're doing so even I should just quickly add like just the people who agreed to be interviewed for the yeah band, man was yeah, like man. a huge was a huge, like, like the fact that Cannibal Corpse agreed to participate within like a couple of hours of me emailing someone at Metal Blade, you know, was like a huge thing. When Chris, when Chris was like, I'm going to talk to Weiner, I was like, holy fuck, like, you know, that was really <laughs> it's, it's funny, uh, Death Angel, I was, I was on that 70,000 tons of metal cruise and I had, I had talked to their people and they were like, look, you just got to track them down on the ship and like talk to them. And I was scheduled to interview them for Revolver, who I write for sometimes, and I was talking to them, and afterwards I was like, anyway, look, I don't want to play gotcha journalism with you here, but can I also interview you for like 15 minutes about for this book I'm writing about metal? And the dudes from Death Angel were like, awesome, let's do it. Let's do it right now. We're going to have the best time. And, and so, you know, it was amazing some of the people who were just like totally excited and totally down and, you know, I don't often buy into that sort of brotherhood of metal kind of pat in your chest kind of thing, but it, 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 there were definitely some moments here where I was like, holy shit. Oh, buy into it, man. It's a family for sure. And that, and I'll tell you right now, man, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like you guys did a, a fantastic job with this book, man. It's amazing uh, that you got to do all these interviews that you got to do. Everything you got to do throughout the process is something that you have passion for. And when people have passion and they put it into something like this, it always shows. And that's what I that's why I highly recommend it to anyone out there. Hellraiser is a complete visual history of heavy metal mayhem. Like I said, the passion's in there. You guys don't want to miss this. If you go to Amazon right now, um, it is 1925 hardcover. Pre-order it ASAP, guys. You're gonna get it this October. Um, and it's it's like I said, it's it's from the guys that I work for. It's from the guys that I I've been visiting their website for 10 years. I've been reading all of Chris's articles. I'm telling you. That humor, all that stuff that metal needs that we kind of love as a family in this scene is all in that book, guys. And it's definitely something you don't want to miss. And it's going to be a coffee table book at my house. So my kids are going to spill milk on it all the time. But it's okay. It's going to it's survive, right, guys? Yeah. 
chalk and milk. Oh, yeah. That's what, that's what the dust jacket's for. Yeah. And you can okay. order it right now on Amazon for a whopping $19.25. Right. It, it really doesn't matter when it comes out if you pre-order 20 yeah. copies tonight. So. Yeah. That's yeah, perfect. Sure. So, so uh, I want to thank so much Axel Rosenberg and Chris Crovaton, Emperor Rodis, for going into the Metal Sucks podcast. <laughs> Thanks, dude. All right, dude. So fun guys, man. I was it was a blast talking to him. I was glad I got to cut. It that was up. like listening to the circus. It sounded great. Super funny. Fun. It was fun, dude. I can't, guys. Yeah, I, I already pre-ordered the book myself, Hellraisers. But make sure you get on Amazon. We we mentioned the interview, nineteen twenty-five, right now, hardback. Uh, Definitely want it to succeed, want it to do really well, and want that at a lot of your guys' coffee tables. So that is it this week. We did a lot this week, guys. A lot. So, Brennan, I'm very happy you're still here. Just I'm in glad. Case you're I'm, I'm glad, super happy because you did not want to leave. I did not want to leave. I really I love doing the show with you. And now that Jocelyn's doing it, I love doing the show with Pete. But, I mean, it's like, no. You know, I feel <laughs> the same way, Gooch. You being here is just like having an extra chair in the room. So it doesn't really matter to me either way. A very, a very handsome chair. No, a fuckable chair. A very and on that note, on yeah. the fuckable chair note, we'll talk to you guys. Oh, oh I did want to do a shout-out. David from New York. I hope you're enjoying that Papa Coach bed. He wrote me, asked for the bit. He wanted to torture one of his friends with it. And it, I know by far it's our worst bit ever. The fact that somebody has it on their phone right now. Papa. Is, yeah. Coach. Makes me happy. So, David from New York, thank you for listening, man. Uh, we really appreciate your support. And uh, I, hope, I hope that bit's not as old as it is every time I hear him hit the fucking sounder. It's so, never old. Until next week. No, the new sounder is boners in the. In the yeah, in that's the, right. Fucking well, boners in the mosh Dude, Jocelyn, just God, you should see the disdain in Jaws's eyes when I play that. She's like, fucking motherfucker. She's shaking. She's so upset. <laughs> You're so bullshit. All right, my friends. Until next week. See you. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.